Welcome again to another episode of Room with a Review. I'm David, the host, creator, author of this podcast, whatever you want to call it. Not what you want to call podcast, but whatever you want to call my role. Uh, and even though in the first episode I said I was going to come to Watchmen next week, I'm still just finalising my notes. Anyone familiar with any of the Watchmen texts can probably understand why that might be. So just about done with that. That should be next week's one. But I am going to talk about another one. This is one I wanted to... I was going to start with this one instead, if it wasn't going to be Watchmen. But after seeing Jojo Rabbit, that pushed in. Uh, it's Avatar, The Last Airbender. So not the blue people, the Smurf one, but the animated Nickelodeon series. So this is a show that came out... Oh, must be about 15 years ago or so. A little bit less than that, maybe. And I was you know, teenager when it was coming out and I saw a few episodes and this is actually pretty interesting, but I didn't really have the time or motivation to watch it then. And then once you miss enough episodes, kind of things don't make as much sense. You can kind of pick it up at different points, but you know, I was like, I'll just, you know, whatever, miss it. And then it popped up and I started watching it from the beginning and I've got to say, I love it. It's, it's so good. I've been telling everyone since I finished it, and even before I finished it, that hadn't watched it, to watch it, I think it's got so much in it that's worth watching. Uh, it's a it's a show I always recommend. I've, I recommend it even before I watched it anyway, knowing it's good. It's got a huge internet following. Uh, a lot of people online really like capturing some of the really nice quotes from it, especially from Uncle Iroh. And it's, it's just a really, really good, really nice series it's got a lot of positive things about it and being made for for kids it's obviously not going to be as critical or as dense or layered as some other texts and yet there's a lot of sophistication to it still and the more you look into it the more you realize is going on and how much work they put into developing the show I think it's just fantastic so you got to remember like growing up with things like Captain Planet and Pokemon where you've got all these things that can control like earth, water, fire, etc. Something like Avatar is kind of still continuing down that path a little bit. But it's still something new and different and very almost tries to be very culturally situa- situated but it does a nice job of not identifying a specific culture too much which once you watch it, you'll realize why that is, but also like where it does almost place itself amongst different cultures. But as I said, like if you ever watch it, go down the rabbit hole of all the other things to do with it because there's so much background stuff to it that it's fantastic. So for those who aren't aware, basically Avatar The Last Airbender, from the beginning you you get a clear sense of what's going on. And that kind of has the main storyline over the three seasons or the three books, as they're called. Uh, we've got this this figure called an avatar who has to master all the elements, earth, wind, water, and fire. And he's been missing for 100 years, or the avatar's been missing for 100 years. And now it, the avatar has been found and has returned. We have countries divided up into different nations depending on their bending abilities so if they can fire bend or water bend earth bend or air bend 
And obviously the Avatar is an airbender, and as the name implies, a lot of the airbenders were killed or have gone missing. So we have this Avatar named Aang, and he gets discovered by a waterbender and her brother. And basically you've got the Fire Nation who are the antagonists of the whole thing, and they've been attacking all these other nations, essentially trying to find the Avatar as well and kill him because he's the one that will prevent them from having complete control of everything. So the series kind of just explores the Avatar's development or Aang's development into becoming the Avatar and him mastering the different elements. So each of the books is named after each of those elements. We start with uh, water as he learns how to waterbend, then earth, and then finish with fire. He's already got airbending. And it's just a really, really nicely done show and I think his development obviously that's what the whole show is about is literally him developing into who he's supposed to be but we explore a lot of other themes to go with that and these other ideas of identity and perspective and point of view are very very clearly shown throughout and again remember this is for designed for children or made for children so it's not trying to be subtle in some cases but it does a really nice job of including some of these little subtleties in there and these emotional moments for the characters that I think if you're about 10 or 12 years old will be quite almost formative if you know you would completely adopt everything that's in this text and absorb it for yourself. There's these really good emotional cues given and there are some subtle emotional moments and you have to think through, oh, why is that character acting like that? And they have to kind of help each other realise these things. But we definitely get some really good character journeys and development across this, the whole narrative of it. So as I said, you've already got Aang's, which is quite clear what his is meant to be. But then you've also got the, the waterbender that finds him, uh, Sakara. What's her name? No, that's not her name. Sokka is the brother, and I've just had a mental blank as to what her name is. Anyway, she, she develops quite a bit. She develops her waterbending. Um, her brother, Sokka, he doesn't quite get the development, I think. And it's his character's maybe the one that is the least fleshed out. He's, he has a couple of episodes that are really focused on him. But for the most part, he's kind of the third character of the series. The, the main to her, his sister and Aang. They're the ones... Katara, that's her name. Um, yeah, those two are the ones that we focus on for the most part. Katara and Aang and how she develops. Whereas Sokka, he's kind of just that third person there. He's a little bit there for comedic relief, but it's weird because the show is often going on about how funny he is and yet he's not that funny, I don't think. I think there are other characters that are funnier. Um, and then he's also meant to be this really good tactician and yet we don't see a lot of that either and a good fighter it's a bit odd uh but as i said there are there are a couple of episodes that really focus on him and his development and i think those episodes are actually some of the better ones so it's really odd that for most of the series he kind of takes a back seat but when he is brought to the forefront it's some really deep and dense things going on uh, some of them, there's kind of, I'd probably say in each season, 
there's at least one episode that really focuses on him and his development and key events for him. Probably two or three, and in the later seasons, there's maybe three or four. Um, so the, the third book, the fire book, I would say that he's probably got a much more prominent role, whereas season one, for most of it, he's not as heavily developed, and season two, it starts to happen a little bit more, but still not as much. But yeah, those are the three main characters. Later on, we get they get joined by a girl named Toth, uh, who's an earthbender. She's pretty cool. I think her storyline is interesting, although it started heading somewhere, and then I think it just kind of moved away from that way too quickly. Uh, her relationship with her family, I felt, could have been better, but but overall, she was a good addition. I think she was a nice contrast to what they had between the other three of them. And then we've got the main protagonist for the series, Zuko, and then his sister, Azula. Uh, Zuko is maybe one of the more interesting characters of the whole thing. He's obviously got this troubled past, and you figure that out pretty early. He's been exiled from the Fire Nation trying to hunt down the Avatar because he needs to restore his glory. And he's accompanied by his uncle, Uncle Iroh. And Iroh is the, probably the funniest character, I would say. He's, he's, I think he's almost everyone's favourite, that when you talk to the, everybody likes him. He's full of wisdom, and he's just fantastic. So I think, you know, in terms of characters, this, this is what this show's really good at, is developing these characters and showing what they're like. Now, in terms of... You know, there are some other characters there too, but I'm not going to go into them because those are the kind of the main six or seven you really need to focus on is Zuko, Azula, Iroh, Toth, Katara, Sokka, and Aang. Those are kind of our central characters and everything revolves around them. Other characters come and go. Later on in the series, there are a few more that stick around a little bit longer. But yeah, it's, it's just so well made paced pretty well it does move through through things quickly at times it doesn't really linger on them or develop the tension too much but again remember it's made for kids it's made for a half hour tv slot so the episodes go for about 20 to 25 minutes there are a couple that go for a little bit longer than that and so when it goes for 20 minutes each episode kind of has its own self-contained storyline for the most part there are some double episodes but it doesn't really allow for it to dwell on things for too long and if it did it would actually get too drawn out and the plots wouldn't fit over two episodes properly you'd kind of have like it would be too long if the show was about 35 minutes maybe 30 each episode I think that would be a really good length but when it used to air on tv they needed to have ads so they couldn't do that but it, it's quite quite fine like it doesn't feel rushed or it doesn't feel too fast or anything uh, there are just a couple of things that could maybe be developed a little bit more if they had about five more minutes to spend on each one. But as I said, there's good reasons why they don't. So that's fine. Uh, it's definitely not a criticism of it at all. It's, it's, as I said, definitely still paced quite well. It's not rushed and it doesn't fly through too fast. So we've got these, these benders in the show and you've got different elements that are bent. So air, earth, water and fire... And this is where I'm saying like the research into the background of some of these things is each of them is based on a different martial art or Tai Chi style. And so 
the more you read up on them and then watch it in the show, it's really interesting. Like, and there are lots of videos of people reenacting them, uh, these movements, but also how they look in real life. And it is really good to see the research that went into those things. So water bending is about letting it flow. And there's a really good episode with Ira where he talks about why each of the elements is important and why there needs to be a balance. And fire and earth are about more force and how these elements maybe have some opposites in their styles. And there's a lot of work that went into getting these styles right and putting research into them. There are a couple of episodes you could really pick to show just how they work. And typically they're the ones where Aang is learning the other elements uh, and where also Iroh does teach Zuko a certain skill that is borrowed from waterbending, but he's able to apply as a firebender. Uh, only the Avatar can learn these other elements, by the way. So I think there's some really good work that went into those things, and I think that's what makes the text just really rich. Uh, it's got a lot of things going on, and as I said, like these narratives are interwoven with these bending styles, and everything is actually kind of really well wrapped up together. Because once you start pulling on one thread, a lot of the other threads are caught up in it and you kind of have to untangle the whole thing all at once to really pull it apart. And it's hard to say because I don't want to give away too many spoilers because if you haven't seen it, it's really worth watching it and I, I really don't want it to be ruined for anyone. I was fortunate enough that even though it's been out for a long time that it wasn't ever ruined completely for me. I knew a couple of things that happened as the series went on. But it's definitely one that you, you don't want it to be ruined for you. And there are some things that, you know, I've seen screenshots of the show with quotes from some of the characters and I didn't realise how late in the show some of them came from. So that's really important too that, yeah, try to, uh, if you watch it, it's quick to watch, although there are a lot of episodes, but it's definitely worth it. The other thing I would say is it's really good for, I mean, even though it came out 13, 14 years ago, I think it's even more prevalent now some of the things that we see in it and about this need for multiculturalism. I think that was something that maybe if that was made, you know, five years later than when it was. So it was made around 2006. If that was made, you know, 2011, I could see them pushing more of a multicultural angle in it. I found it really odd towards the end as, oh, we've got these four nations, earth, wind, water, fire, but they're all separated and I was like, why are we not getting more of this multicultural feel between these groups? Like, I get it. There are different cultural things. And it's it's really interesting in showing that. But the context of when it's made, I was surprised that there wasn't more of it. I think a couple of years later might have definitely been included. Uh, I haven't watched the, the follow-up series, The Legend of Korra, which is something I do want to watch. I think that's where that happens. Again, I haven't watched it. I'm just speculating. But within these cultures and even the places they traveled, you see a wide variety of representation of different cultures from around the world. So we've got almost like the water tribe, they live on the North and South Pole. So they're almost Siberian, Inuit type peoples. But there's aspects of, I'd say, Pacific Islander cultures in there too, uh, being so closely connected to the water. And I think then you've also got very heavily influenced by Asian cultures, especially Japanese and Chinese and Korean. 
And I think those are really important too, in that we're kind of getting representations of these different cultures, but it's not explicitly those people. I shouldn't say those people, but explicitly those peoples, really. It's not, oh, this is a, like the Fire Nation is explicitly Chinese or Japanese. It's not, it's kind of a blend of a few different cultures and it's not just Chinese and Japanese. Likewise, as I said, with the Water Tribe, they're not explicitly Inuit or Pacific Islander. They're kind of a combination of a few. There are some other ones. Um, I want to say Louisiana, like these swamp kind of, guys that pop up at one point uh there are the earthbenders are a little bit different they're more inland type people so almost mongolian aspects there various other bits and pieces that pop up from different places around the world south american at one point gets featured i think it does a really 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 good job of just blending all of the cultures from around our world into these societies but then within its own world it doesn't have that same level of multiculturalism which i think is a little bit odd but i think it's also the show itself is a really good example of multiculturalism because it's a nickelodeon show so it's you know u.s based but obviously borrows from the asian style of anime and I think that's a really good introduction for a lot of people into anime. I'm not big on my anime shows at all, but when you do think about shows like Dragon Ball Z and Pokemon that have been heavily popular in the in the West, then this is another one that kind of, for a new generation, allows them access to that. And that is exactly where I've used it for my teaching. Uh, I think it, it's a good segue and introduction to Asian cultures, but obviously you wouldn't use it to teach those things. It's not a text that properly represents them, but it does do a really good job of allowing an entry point into some of those things. And because it's got those Western aspects to it as well, it's got a good blend between the two. I think for a lot of students, it's really easy for them to go, oh, I get it now and visually see it. And I've had a lot of students actually that have watched it even before I've shown it to them, but they've watched it after. Like typically I only focus on maybe the first episode. There are a couple of other good episodes having seen it all, that I think you could just put on, give them brief bracket background into who the characters are and what's going on, and it wouldn't ruin anything for them. There are like a, some standalone episodes. There's one in particular that's really... I thought it was really interesting because it was so different to all the others. I think it was the one that was called Tales from the Earth Kingdom. And basically it was a series of four different characters individual events from a day and what happened to them throughout the space of a day or two and it was really really interesting I think because it was so different from all these other episodes we also get a lot of these flashback episodes where we go into the past quite a bit and see these other things I think there's a really good blend of different storytelling that goes on the music is another thing that's just so well woven into the whole thing you've got these different styles of music that appear and obviously again for children it's this clear symbol that's going yes we're focusing on these characters right now hence why their theme music is being played and the music at the end of the show I thought was really discordant with the rest of it it didn't quite fit especially you go through these really intense or deep or emotional scenes and a lot of tension and conflict in an episode and then it finishes and you get this lighthearted kind of 
upbeat music. It didn't quite match. But then when you see where that music comes from the show itself, like when it actually appears, because it's quite late on, you go, oh, this makes total sense. And it's actually really good that that was the music that was used all the way through. But it was always a bit weird. Like the show would finish and then the credits would start and there's massive tone shift just from the, the style of music being used. So I think there's a lot of really good things to talk about. You've got a good combination of different cultures there. And as I said, it really allows for a good starting point into Asian cultures. And I think, especially the way the syllabus is now in New South Wales, that's something you obviously have to teach at some point. This is a good text. You can do it. I've taught it everything from 7, 8, 9 and 10. Uh, as in, as I said, just one or two episodes from early on, because I think they do a good job of showing some of these things. Focusing on some of more those, the martial arts and what the martial arts uh, represent, it's good that I've worked with someone who's quite skilled and knowledgeable in that area. And so they're able to talk about how different stances and positions and actions represent different values and the mindset behind some martial arts. But I think that's a good starting point. The setting and the costuming and all those other aspects are also really good. I don't focus on the appearance of the characters as much other than the costuming because that's just leading yourself into trouble. But I think it does do a really good job of kind of blending those things. It's got lots of key themes of friendship, honour, respect, identity and other things down that kind of path and vein. And as I said, it's just fantastic series. It's so usable in so many different ways. I know that some schools teach heroes or superheroes and I think this is another good one because as Aang has, you know, this identity crisis at different points about can I be the hero that has to save everyone? I don't know if I'm good enough or strong enough. And that's such a common trope among so many superhero movies. I know that the Dark Knight franchise explored that across all three movies and that was kind of central to it all. Spider-Man goes through that at one point. They all kind of have this, I can't do this if it's going to get people hurt sort of thing. Yeah, and I think this does another good job of doing that. And I think it overlaps in so many different ways and with so many different texts that you could really use it in so many different ways. And the more you watch of it, the more you pick out these really good episodes that are useful for different stuff. There's one episode that basically shows how everything in a certain place might appear as a utopia but is really a dystopia. And I know quite a few people are doing dystopias with reading to write. And it's something I've thought about using for that same kind of topic of looking at why these conditions aren't so great. And But it's because it's such a very simple way. If you're doing that with like a standard English class, I think it's really accessible for them. And if they've seen, I mean, it's good because if I've taught these kids before they get to year 11 and I have shown them one of these earlier episodes, they have a bit of a foundation to build off. So I think, you know, there are lots of episodes you could use to show different things. As I said, that Tales from the Earth Kingdom is another really good one. For that, I think it really allows you to show different ways of storytelling. So Avatar, The Last Airbender, definitely worth watching. Definitely very applicable in different ways. And I really want to get onto Legend of Korra now, actually. So if I can ever find that anywhere, if it pops up on one of these streaming services that I've got, then I might watch it there. But for now, that is the Legend of Korra. Nah, Legend of Korra is next. But Avatar Last Airbender, the animated series, 
fantastic. Definitely, definitely worth watching. Now for the War and Peace segment of this podcast. As I said in the first episode, every week I'll give an update on where I'm at with reading it. My aim is to read a chapter a day minimum, so I get it done this year. By the end of 2020, I want to have read it. And I'm already falling behind. I did manage to catch back up. I had a couple of days buffer built in, and then there was a couple of days this week where I didn't read it. So yesterday I did catch up on some of those days. I really need to get moving with it because if I'm, when I have a bit of time at the moment to be reading it and I'm not and the chapters aren't long, that's definitely going to happen as the year progresses and I get busier. I've just got to get on top of it. I've got to really build up a good buffer. I think I really need to read about 20 to 30 extra chapters over the next two weeks, which isn't that much if I just double it to three chapters a day in the next two weeks then that'll be fine. I'll get there. That won't be an issue. Then I'll be just under 30. Actually, I'll be about 30 chapters ahead at that point. But it's still really good. I'm still really enjoying it. It is slowly moving into the main plot. It has taken a bit of time to get there. I was really enjoying the first few chapters. I thought it was really good. But it hasn't really made much progress. Although I think the complications are starting to emerge a lot more. There was one quote that I wish I'd said last week, but it was kind of right at the end of what I just read and it wasn't, it should have been fresh in my mind, but I'd forgotten about it. And it was really talking about why do men always have to go to war? And I completely agree. I think everything that's gone on the start of 2020, that was a fantastic observation from a couple hundred years ago or a long time ago at least. And yeah, what is it with going to war? Like just back down already. You don't have to fight everyone all the time. But anyway, uh, and there was this, that was this really good, uh, really good observation made by one of the female characters questioning men always wanting to go to war and I completely agree with them. But then there's also been some really other just interesting moments. We're starting to see a lot of complex political, social maneuvering going on and how these characters interact with each other. I'm still struggling a little bit just to track how each of the characters fit with each other because often they only get first names and then, oh, who's related to who and who's a cousin and who's just friends and who are siblings and who's the children of who. That I'm getting a little bit better at it um, and I keep kind of flicking back to the end of the book where it says like the glossary or the, the character list, the dramatis personae. And... It does help, but it does take a bit of going to get used to them. I've kind of got to mentally remind myself each time their name pop up. Okay, they fit there, they're there. Almost like a family tree sort of thing. But that's okay. Uh, it's it's not unbearable. It's not too bad. Once you get a few chapters going at a time, you really pick it up. I did also make comments last week in that I really prefer it over Jane Austen. And maybe I sounded a little bit critical of Jane Austen. Look, full credit to her. She was very important for her time I just preferred uh, at least Jane Eyre as a novel over most of the Jane Austen ones I felt like a lot of the Jane Austen ones just were too repetitive and similar to each other but at the same time War and Peace almost has this 
similar style at in a way, but it's a little bit easier to read and is less conversation based. So, you know, I do want to maybe backtrack a little bit, not being intentionally so critical of Jane Austen. I know she's quite influential and important, but it's just not my cup of tea. War and Peace, much more my speed. I really enjoy it. And I'll definitely have to keep going. I really need to get into it to be able to talk about it properly. Not much has happened. Basically, we've got a lot of Russian socialites and dukes and counts and princes that are just kind of hanging out at the moment. We've just had a more prominent older person about to pass away. So there's questions about inheritance. But that's as far as I've got. They've had a couple of discussions about who's going to marry who. But I really need to push on with it. Otherwise, I'll never get it done. Or it definitely won't happen this year. Other than that, I'm still going to look into if there's a way for you to give feedback. I don't think I've had too many listeners yet. But hopefully I can increase that. Um, You can access this podcast through Spotify, but also through Anchor. And if you do listen to it and you are able to give feedback in in any way, please do so. Thank you, everyone.